0: listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene online at bethanynaz.org.
1: I still sometimes can't hardly believe that what I get to do is study throughout the week and whatever God teaches me I get to come in here on Sunday and I get to share with you what God's teaching me. I love getting to do this and some days I just feel like Who gets to do what I get to do? It's one of those days where I come really excited about sharing what I've learned because I believe it can be a huge help. It's been a blessing to me. Hope it blesses you as much as it blesses me. So let me just begin by saying, did you hear about the guy? Now, I know that we're in November. So we're coming to the end of the year, right? And we got Thanksgiving this week, and then we just got about a month or so left, and then we're into 2024. But did you hear about the guy who said... I approached this year hoping to lose 10 pounds. That was my goal. And I've only got 15 more to go. I get it. Losing ground instead of gaining ground. You ever feel that way about your journey with God? I, I've, had, I've had high hopes, Rick. I wanted to really grow in my faith. I, I, I really want to become more like Jesus. I really want to experience spiritual growth. But if I'm honest right now, I don't know over these last several months if I've been gaining ground or losing ground. And so we've been in this series based on a book, and it's guiding us by Dr. David Busick, our good friend, Way, Truth, and Life, Discipleship is a Journey of Grace. So we've been talking about grace, right? We've been talking about how grace is amazing. We've talked about like seeking grace where God woos us, draws us, comes to us, uh, loves us, reaches out to us, opens his arms to us. We've been talking about saving grace where God captures our hearts. Where a person literally does this decides that the life I've been living, I'm walking away from it right now. And from this point on, I'm gonna go on this journey with Jesus. So the life I've been living, I'm walking away from that life and I'm gonna to begin to walk with Jesus. Wherever he leads me, that's where I'm gonna go. Whatever he asks me to do, that's what I'm gonna do. Last week we talked about sanctifying grace, where God cleanses our hearts. And so it's this idea where Dr. Busick said, we give God room in every room of our lives. So if I'm you, I'm asking, what's next? And the answer is growth. Growing in grace. Sustaining grace. And so if you say, okay, if the next step is my spiritual growth, all we're talking about is grace and how God does all of this. God comes to me. God saves me. God sanctifies. it's all God's work in my life. So what about my spiritual growth? Is that up to God? Is that more grace? Or is my spiritual growth up to me? Is there something I should be doing? And so I've got a quote I'm going to put on the screen. I'm going to take my time. I want you to see it. I want you to hear it. I want you to think about it, okay? And it's from Dr. Busick's book. And, and it's our bottom line today. It's where we're going to spend all of our energy. And here's what he says, okay? He says, We cooperate with the active grace of God. So God has expressed grace to us. God came and found us. God saved us. God has cleansed us. God is working in our lives. And he's still extending grace to us. So we cooperate with the active grace of God, by doing what? By reordering our lives around those activities, disciplines, and practices that Jesus modeled. So I'm gonna leave it here for a minute, and I want you to take a good look at it. If you wanna take a picture, that's okay too. This is the bottom line. This is where we're gonna spend our energy. You and I, we cooperate with the grace of God that's at work in our lives, and we reorder our lives around activities and disciplines and practices that Jesus modeled. So you may say, and I don't blame you if you do, how in the world do I get to this point? How do I get to a place where I actually reorder my life around activities and disciplines and practices that Jesus modeled? Well, you're gonna need grace. (laughs) It's really all grace. So here's, here's what I mean. If you said to a saint, Wow, I am so impressed with you. I admire your prayer life. Do you know what that saint is going to say to you? <laughs> no, no, that that's God's work in my life. I, I would never take credit for that. That's, that's something God's doing in me. See, if if you said to a person who you admire who's maybe a part of this community of faith and they're just great at serving, they're always serving, they're always giving, they're always helping, you say, I admire you so much for the way that you just serve and the way that you give and the way that you work. Every time I see you, you're doing something for somebody, they're gonna push back and say, no, no, no. I would never take credit for that. That's God working in me. Even those practices are a result of God's grace in our lives. So you may say, okay, I think I'm hearing you, but could you give me a picture? Could you show me what you're talking about? Could you give me a picture of what that looks like? So if you said, here's a group of people and they're living out what I'm talking about, what would that look like in a group of people's life? If they really have reordered their lives around the activities and the disciplines and the practices that Jesus modeled, can you show me a picture of that? And I can, and I can show you it in the very earliest Christians, the early church, in Acts chapter two, verse 42 through 47. Here's what it looks like. They, meaning that group of Christians devoted themselves, it doesn't mean that sometimes they did it, if they felt like doing it, they did it, no. This was devotion. This is what we are giving ourselves to. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching in other words, we're going to show up on a regular basis and we're going, to, we're going to be instructed, okay? And to fellowship. In other words, we're going to keep getting together. That's really important. To the breaking of bread. This probably refers to the Lord's Supper and to prayer. They devoted themselves to these practices and activities and disciplines that Jesus modeled. Everybody was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And all the believers were together and had everything in common. What does that mean? Well, it means they sold their property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. That's what it means. That was another practice and activity. They took care of each other. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. That's another practice. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together. See, it's biblical. Come over, let's eat together. With glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Look at the last line. And the Lord added to their number daily, those who were being saved. In, in other words, we read later, they could not stop talking about Jesus to people. Even when authorities said, you better stop, they said, we can't stop. There's no way. And as a result, many, many people came to Jesus. So this is the word of God for the people of God. And the people said, thanks be to God. I remember one Sunday morning after preaching a sermon, uh, walking down front, and there was a guy there waiting to talk to me who normally didn't talk to me, and definitely didn't talk to me about spiritual things. Dad, two kids at the time, wife. And so he says to me, "I, I listened to what he had to say today. But I don't do most of those things you talked about. I said, what do you mean? He said, I don't, I don't pray. I just don't. I don't, I don't, I don't read the Bible. Ever. When you talked about who are you investing in or like discipling and who's investing in you and discipling you, nobody. I don't do any of that. I don't I don't share my faith with anybody. Like the people at my work, I'm certain they don't know I'm a Christian. They don't know that I go to church. I never talk about any of that stuff to anybody. I don't do any of that stuff you're talking about. None. He was at the point of decision. And in that moment, he hadn't decided. He was just dealing with the reality of who he was. He finally says to me, spiritually, there's not much to me. Now, to understand what's going on in Acts chapter 2, understanding the context is crucial, okay? Okay. What's going on? You might say about that guy. Well, Rick, he should be he should be praying. He said he doesn't pray. He should be, okay. And he should be reading his Bible. That's what he should be doing. He should read his he should read his Bible every day. He should have a one-on-one time with God every day. That's what he should be doing. I'm, okay, I'm, I'm I'm I think that everybody should be having one-on-one time with God, and he should be. Going to church every Sunday, he should never miss. And, and, he, and he should be in a group. That guy needs accountability is what he needs. He should be in a group. And he should be serving somewhere. That would help him a lot if he was just serving somewhere. And was he giving? I don't know. I don't look at what people give. Well, he should be giving. And he ought to be telling his friends at work about Jesus. That's what he should be doing. And, and I would just be like, okay, I, I don't disagree with any of that. I think that all of us should be doing all of those things. But here's the problem you should is not very effective. It's not with me. I'm just gonna confess to you that I'm one of those people, I do not ever appreciate it when somebody says to me, you should do this. Annette, am I telling the truth? Raise your hand, just give a witness. You wanna stand, it's okay. She would tell you that living with me, she has to kind of guard herself from saying, well, you should do this. Because I get quiet when she says you should. I mean, if somebody comes up to me at church and says, you know what, you should, you should read this. I'm like, on the inside, I'm not doing well. On the outside, I'm smiling, you know. Do you know what Jesus said to these believers? In this context, he doesn't say you should pray, you should read, you should give, you should serve, you should share, you should. Do you know what he says you should do? Wait. Just wait. But I think I should be. No, wait. But what if I. Wait. Wait for the Holy Spirit. Because when the Holy Spirit comes on you, then you're going to receive power. And everything you do will be infused with power and you will witness. What you need is power. So, Dr. Busick, in this chapter, and if you haven't read it, spend the rest of the week with it, read it, devour it, digest it, pray about it, contemplate it. He says, we need grace for both pardon and power. So we don't just need to be forgiven of our sins, but we need power to live the life. And he says, either extreme is dangerous. If you say, you know what, I just want to be forgiven. <laughs> that's all I want. I just want to get better, feel better. I got guilt hanging over for sin. I just want, I just want pardon, grace. Okay, that's da- if you say all I'm wanting is just grace for power to live the life. I just got to live better. Either extreme is dangerous. And he calls them this. The one extreme leads to antinomianism, and the other extreme leads to legalism. Now, you may say this is a new word for me. Interestingly, this is Thanksgiving in 1621 is when we kind of date the first Thanksgiving feast. In 1638, the pilgrims had a major theological discussion, debate, division in the eastern part of the United States. Do you know what it was over? Antinomianism. Let me give you a definition. At the core, antinomianism would say, God doesn't really care about how we live. We're covered by grace. I, I could really do whatever I want to. I mean, I, it, I, I, I'm not bound by any moral code. I don't even have to keep the Ten Commandments for heaven's sakes. It's all covered by grace. If I sin more, then I just get more grace. And today, I see something like this in society. I I think there's a mindset that just says, hey, relax. God's relaxed, you should relax. You're all uptight about being moral and you feel bad when you do things wrong. Just relax, God's good. You're okay, grace covers all that stuff. That's the extreme. The other extreme is legalism. Legalism would say it's an overemphasized notion that obedience to rules is necessary for salvation. So it would, it would be a person who says, I know that I'm saved by grace, but not really. I mean, my salvation is really dependent on whether or not I read my Bible enough, I pray enough, I go to church enough, I give enough, I serve enough, I share my faith enough. If I do all those things, then yes, I will be saved. And I know that Jesus died on the cross to provide for my salvation and that I'm saved by grace, but not really. Really, it's only actualized. If I do enough stuff, well enough, long enough, then I'll really get to heaven when I die and I'll really be saved. But it's really based on my performance. And my salvation is is in reality kind of up to me to work out. But that's not what the Bible teaches Neither extreme. So you're feeling tension right now. Embrace that tension. That tension is healthy. So am I saved by grace? And after I become a Christian, so what about works? And how much do I do? And how much is dependent on God? How much Is it dependent on me? Is, is it all grace? Is it all rules? And here's what the Bible teaches. You ready? Philippians chapter 2. Continue to work out your salvation. Work out my salvation. It's up to me with fear and trembling, mind you. But read the next sentence. For it is God who works in you. Oh, that's grace. To will and to act, to want and to behave in order to fulfill his good purpose. you see where this is going? We don't work to earn grace. We cooperate with the grace that is given to us. Do you remember it was Dallas Willard who said, grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning." Grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. Paul said it this way in Ephesians 2. You have been saved by grace, not by works. But you are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works. And so let's take the remainder of our time and talk about what it looks like to cooperate with God's grace. Okay? So let me tell you a story. Let me take you back. We've talked about the early church, all right? Now let me take you to the 1700s, okay? There were a couple of uh, a very strong preachers in the 1700s that has left an impact on the world, all right? Um, one of them's name is John uh, George Whitfield, and the other is named John Wesley. Do you know what 17th, 18th century, rather, England was like? It was the time of the Industrial Revolution, meaning that industry was big in the cities. And it was the first time we'd ever seen anything like this. So you have factories and you have mills and you have mines and it's all happening in the cities. Okay. And so people are leaving their homes in the rural areas and moving to the cities because we can get work. We no longer scratch a living out of the dirt. We can actually get a job in a factory. The the delusion of all of that was that The people running the factories and owning the factories were rich. The people working in the factories were living in great poverty. Um, They left their urban, I mean, their rural life to come to the urban centers, and, and there were the vices of the urban centers. Alcoholism was out of control. Child labor had become a real issue. Children working as young as five and six years old in factories. The poor were getting poorer. The rich were getting richer. And where was the church in the midst of all of it? It was sterile. It was ineffective. It was not good. George Whitfield was a famous preacher. He was a really good preacher. People loved to hear him preach, and so they would come out to hear him. Sometimes by the thousands. He would preach in churches, and and the doors were open to him because of his giftedness as a preacher. But he became pretty strong in his preaching finally leaves England to go to America because the new settlement, there were problems and he found a need for an orphanage in Georgia. He decided to go back to England and raise money to build an orphanage in Georgia. However, the doors of the churches had closed to him because of his harsh, true biblical preaching. And so he just began to preach out in the open air. He would preach in parks and schoolyards He would go to the mining communities and preach there. And thousands of people would come. It's estimated that at times there were as many as 10,000 people. This is without a microphone, okay? 10,000 people would come to hear George Whitfield preach. He decides to go back to America once he raises money to build the orphanage. And he says to his friend John Wesley, why don't you preach in my place in these open-air settings? Wesley said, I'm an Anglican. I feel like I would be dishonoring my church not to preach in the church. But he was coerced by Whitfield to give it a try, and he did. And he was amazed at the way people responded. They would come forward by the hundreds to accept Jesus and the gospel. And so Wesley said, what are we gonna do with all of these people who are coming to Jesus? How do we help them grow in their faith. How do we help them experience spiritual growth? And so here's what he did: he established the Methodist societies. Now they called him a Methodist because he was methodical. It wasn't a compliment. They were just saying, that's the most methodical guy in the world. He's so detailed, it's crazy. So they called him Methodist. It's not a biblical understanding. The word Methodist is methodical, okay? And so he was so methodical. He got everybody into groups, societies, he called them. They were like congregations. They were popping up all over England, okay? And so they were like Methodist chapels. They did not meet on Sunday morning because he was an Anglican. He went to the Anglican church on Sunday morning. That's where he received the Lord's Supper. But on Sunday nights and other nights of the week, they were most known for Sunday night, they had the Methodist societies. If you were in a Methodist society, you were required And if you didn't, you couldn't come back to be in a class meeting. A class meeting was a group of 10 to 12 people and here's what happened at the class meeting. They reviewed the general rules. Wesley said, there's some things you should not be doing so don't do them, do no harm. (laughs) There's some things you should do, so do them, do good. And then keep the ordinances of God. The ordinances of God were going to church, practicing Communion, the Lord's Supper, family and private prayer, the study of the scriptures, fasting, and abstinence from certain things, okay? And then they received an offering for the poor, and then this was the bulk of what happened. The group leader would look at an individual in the group until everybody had answered the question, how is it with your soul? So, Tristan, you were in a group this morning. What if the person leading the group would have said, Tristan, come and stand with me? And you came. And the person said, Tristan, I want you to share with everyone else in the group, how is it with your soul? We'd like to hear if you've been tempted to sin and how you overcame or if you overcame. We'd like to hear you talk about your prayer life, your Bible reading life we like to hear you talk about how you're growing in your faith. We want you to talk about how you're treating Haley and how that relationship's going and are you honoring God in that way? And on and on and on. I mean, I think if it was us, we'd all be staring at the carpet, right? Oh, poor Tristan. He's got to share all this stuff in front of everybody. But that's what they did, class meetings. Do you know that when class meetings were required that the Methodists grew from a couple of thousand to two and a half million. It was not about information. It was not instruction. It was about transformation. It was look me in the eye and tell me how it's going with God. Practices. Group life. Prayer. Fasting. Study the scripture. Worshiping together. All those things. Wesley said in his later years, establish class meetings and form societies wherever you preach and have attentive hearers. For wherever we have preached without doing so, the word has been like seed by the wayside. You remember that famous preacher I told you about, George Whitfield, who was really a better preacher than Wesley? Wesley? He's not responsible for the Methodist movement or what has now been known as the Wesleyan revival. Here's what he said late in his years. He said, My brother Wesley acted wisely. The souls that were awakened under his ministry, he joined in class, meaning class meetings, and this preserved the fruits of his labor. Listen to his last statement This I neglected, and my people are a rope. Of sand, meaning I've got no idea what happened to them. Practices, activities, disciplines that Jesus modeled can become means of grace. It's a phrase that Wesley coined. The idea is that God uses many things to grow us spiritually. They become grace in our lives, channels through which God helps us grow. And so let me tell you about a personal experience. A few years ago, I read a book by a preacher, a pastor, and he said, I began to survey people in my congregation and ask them, tell me about a season in your life where you experienced spiritual growth. And he said, it came down to about five things. I was intrigued by it. And so I started conducting my own survey informally. Everybody that I would eat with or everybody that I would have a conversation with or anybody that I got a few minutes with or if I would teach in a class or something like that, I would ask people to respond. And I would say this to them simply, tell me about a season in your life when you grew spiritually. What was going on when that was happening? And it came down to about six responses. Here's what people said to me. Six practices. I found a church. I started worshiping with these people. Something was going on. The the worship, the music was drawing me in, and, and the teaching really connected with me. And I'm telling you, when I look back on my life, it's when I found this church and I was worshiping with these people, God began to change me. Or people talk about one-on-one time with God. I've got people right now saying to me, I started reading the Bible through last year. I'm reading it through again this year. I can't tell you, Pastor Rick, how God is growing me because of the time that I'm spending one-on-one time with him in in my Bible and in prayer. I've had other people tell me that a group of people surrounded me begin to invest in my life, begin to pray for me, begin to lead me, begin to work with me, and I begin to grow in my faith. Others talk about, I went on a missions trip. I grew more in two weeks than I've grown in the last 20 years. Something happened to me on that trip. God changed me. I've had people tell me, we made a pledge when we renewed the sanctuary and the, and the campaign called Beyond, My faith grew more because I watched God work in my life in such a powerful way. My faith is stronger than it's ever been. Or people talk about we invited our neighbors to church, and the result is we've grown spiritually. They become means of grace. Once in a while, somebody will say something like this to me. Pastor I went to church camp and I came back. I'm so on fire for God. I just don't want it to burn out. You know what I'm saying? Or I went on this retreat and I came back and I was so fired up for God. I just don't want it to burn out. Or, or you know, I went on a missions trip and, wow, I've grown so much of my faith on that trip. I just want to keep it, you know, strong and vibrant. Or, or somebody will say to me, like, I went through a sickness and I really grew in my faith through the sickness. Here's what I ask people. When you were at that camp retreat or on that missions trip, were you guys doing this together? Oh, yeah, every day. Were you doing this? Absolutely. I mean, we set aside time just for a one-on-one time with God every day. We're, oh, I got close to this group like you wouldn't believe. You guys were serving? Yeah, that's what we were doing there. We were sharing. We were giving. I'm like, well, no wonder you were growing in your faith. God was using these practices as a means of grace to help you grow. Even when somebody talks to me about sickness, and I really grew through cancer in my faith, I say to them, were you more faithful to church? That's when we got faithful to church. Did you pray and read your Bible? That's what kept me going, Pastor. That's when I really began to pray and read my Bible. Did the people in the church surround you? Oh, they were there with us all the way through and on and on. And I'm thinking, no wonder you were growing in your faith because God, by his grace, provided a means and you experienced growth. Here's what I've never had anybody say. I've never had anybody say, I'll go back to the list one more time. Okay, um, I, I don't go to church and, and I do not pray and I do not read my Bible, mind you, I would never be in a group. That's weird. I don't serve anywhere. I don't give anything to anybody. Everything I have is for me. And I never share my faith with anybody. But I am growing in my faith like you wouldn't believe. Never have I heard anybody say that. It's always the opposite. Tell me about a season in your life when you grew in your faith and they say, well, here we go. I think that It would be easy to say, okay, Rick, now I'm hearing do, 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 do this, do that, do this. No, you see, if it weren't for God's grace, I wouldn't even have a prayer life. I I think we all know what it is to try to will something better. If I just try hard enough, no, it takes grace. Every day it takes grace. The early church were shaped through practices and God's grace was extended to them. So in Dr. Busick's book, early in the chapter, I underlined a statement and then I put a star by it. Now let me tell you something. I'll underline a lot in books, but if I give you one of my stars, that's big. I don't give those away easily, okay? And, And I brought it for you today, and I even brought a picture because I don't want you to misunderstand this in any way. I want you to get this. This God might use to change your life. Are you ready? Here's what he says. The true saint burns grace. Like a 747 burns fuel on takeoff. A true saint burns grace like a 747 burns fuel on takeoff. If, if you see anything good in my life at all, if there's anything in my life that you say, wow, that's, that's good, Rick, it's because of grace. I am am burning grace every day like a 747 burns fuel on takeoff. If there is any good thing coming out of my life, any good thing coming out of my life at all, it's because God's grace is being extended to me and I am burning grace like a 747 burns fuel on takeoff. If you see anything in my life that you say, that's good, that's because of grace. If you say any saint, I admire your prayer life, they're going to say, I'm burning grace. If you say to any saint, I love the way you serve, they're going to say, I'm burning grace every day. It's only because of grace. So so you may say, that that guy that came down and talked to you at the end of that service, if, if I came down and talked to you today, that might be my conversation. My prayer life is not good. I don't read my Bible enough. I'd I don't disciple anybody. I'm not being discipled. I, I would never witness to anybody that it's not me. There's grace for that. So I probably should be by now, right? Let me, let me finish. Let me just, God speaks to us all differently. During this series, I want to tell you what God is doing to me, okay? Every time, I'm confronted in my life with something like, I didn't, that's not good, Rick. Or that conversation with Annette, that could have gone better. It's your wife. Or, you know, one of the practices that I put on the board, I I I need to shore up in a practice. Here's the prayer that I pray. I ask God this. Is there grace for that? You got any grace for that? Every time the Holy Spirit speaks to me and challenges me, here's what I've been saying. Through this series, as I've been studying about grace, here's what I've been saying. Is there any grace for that, God? Because I know, Moan, I'm not going to accomplish that. You got any grace for that? So what if you begin to pray that with me? When, when you say, I'm, I'm coming up short, Rick, or the Holy Spirit speaks to you and like, okay, yeah, I'm not, we're ought to be there. What if you just said to God, you got any grace for that? <laughs> because he does. We need grace. And so we just cooperate with the grace that God is already pouring out in our lives. So let me, let me pray for you. And then after we pray, we'll stand and we'll sing, we'll celebrate what God is doing in us and for us and through us. And you know the drill. If anybody ever wants to pray, you're always welcome to pray. That's always an option. You can come forward and pray. That's That's just a free time that we have in the service where you can pray where you're standing, or you can kneel at your seat, or you can come to an altar, whatever you want to do, you know there's always an opportunity to respond in any way you feel like you should. So God, here we are, knowing how much we need your grace, and for whatever we're dealing with in life, I believe you have grace for that. For wherever we're coming up short, I believe you have grace for that. For whatever you're asking us to do, and we're nervous about it. I believe you have grace for that. And help us to cooperate with the grace you're giving us. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. If I ask you this morning to open your hands and receive this blessing, I think when we do something physical, sometimes it changes something in our minds. So the Lord wants to bless you today. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face to you and give you peace. God bless you. You're dismissed.
0: You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.